Good morning. Welcome to Centennial Church. My name is Ross. Welcome, church family. And also, welcome to our guests this morning. Glad that you're here. Glad that you're here to worship with us. Uh, I know that uh, often finding a church family, finding a church home can be difficult. So if you're our guest this morning and uh, there's any way that I can help you personally uh, just learn more about our church, what we're doing here, what our mission is, I'd love to meet you afterwards. Shoot me an email this week. I'd love to answer any questions you have. But so glad that you're here. There is a little connection card if you're our guest or if you're a regular attender around here. There should be a little connection card in front of you as well as on our CC app. We'd love to have your prayer requests, uh, know how you found that out about us, things like that. Um, you can put those in baskets. We have baskets at the front as well as in the back. That's also where our tithes and offerings go. But uh, so glad that you're here, uh, guest and family from out of town. Uh, thank you for, for being with us. Well, tomorrow we will honor and celebrate the lives of men and women who have given their lives fighting for our country. Not sure if you're aware of it or not, but 1.3 million Americans have died defending our country. 1.3 million Americans given their lives in service of our country. In decades previously, I think our military heroes, our men and women soldiers had, were more esteemed, were more honored perhaps than they are in today's decade, uh, to our shame, I think. But we will honor our fallen heroes, we will honor those who have given their all, men and women of courage, dedication, self-discipline, uh, men and women of principle, men and women again who have sacrificed their very lives in defense of our country, American heroes. About 10 years ago, a uh, professor at Harvard University named Peter Gibbon wrote a book, actually, uh, bemoaning and documenting kind of the loss of heroism in our country. Peter Gibbon, uh, Harvard University, the book, the title of the book, uh, a little more than 10 years ago, is called A Call to Heroism, Renewing America's Vision of Greatness. We need heroes, don't we? We need American heroes. We need Christian heroes. I don't think it's pessimistic to say this morning that at this time in our history, perhaps more than ever, we are in need of heroes. Are we not? It was during uh, the 1970s that a pop country singer named Bill Anderson used to sing a song called Where Have All the Heroes Gone? Maybe some of you remember that song. And a similar question is asked actually by another professor at the University of San Francisco in an op-ed piece for the Huffington Post. Dr. Jim Taylor, a uh, psychology professor at San Francisco University, writes this, where have all our heroes gone? In 21st century America, I ask myself, where have all our heroes gone? I look at the iconic figures of today, the influential people that our children see on television and in the movies and read about in magazines and newspapers and on the internet, and I have a hard time finding anyone whom I can call a hero. Most of those in the spotlight these days appear to be far from heroic. Politicians who are self-glorifying panderers, corporate leaders who are greedy and corrupt, athletes who are entitled and irresponsible, and entertainers who are spoiled and aloof. There are exceptions, of course. There are people in the world who should be seen as heroes, but they rarely get the attention they're due. 
There just aren't many people in the public eye today for whom I can say, I would like my children to grow up and be just like them. Interestingly enough, over the last five years, some of the highest grossing movies in our nation have been movies about superheroes. Some of our favorite movies, some of our most loved movies are those of superheroes. We want heroes, and I would argue that we need heroes. And in fact, I think the, one of the evidences that we don't have heroes that we need is this explosion, this huge phenomenon of superheroes. It tells me that not only do we need heroes, but if we don't find worthy heroes, we will make them up. We will find fictitious heroes in the absence of true heroes. Well, our passage today, as we continue in the book of Philippians, gives us, I think, a description of two great biblical heroes. And in fact, as Paul describes them, he calls them soldiers and servants. Soldiers and servants. So please, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, where we're going to look at a few good men. Men who show courage, men who risk their lives, and men who put others ahead of themselves, heroes to Paul, heroes to us, people that we can emulate even today. Philippians chapter 2 will be in uh, verses 19 through 30, 19 through 30 of Philippians chapter 2. Read along with me, beginning of verse 19. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him soon, just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me." Well, we're going to look this morning at these heroes. We're going to look at who they are and why they should be honored and then some things that uh, we can learn. As we back up a little bit, last week we noticed in verse 15 that Paul, Paul tells us that in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, we should shine as lights. We should shine as lights in the midst of a culture that's twisted, that's broken, that's immoral, Shine as lights. And now in these verses, I think he gives us two great examples of what that looks like to, to shine as lights. He said in chapter one to let our, lives, uh, let our lives be worthy of the gospel, to live exemplary lives, to shine as lights. And now he gives us uh, these two 
these two examples. You remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Shine as lights, be lights of the world. So this morning we meet Timothy and Epaphroditus. And I just want to uh, put the map back up here that I've referred to many weeks ago and just kind of show you where we're talking about. Philippi is up here. This is the church that Paul is writing to, and he's writing probably, most commentators think, way off the map over here from Rome, okay? He's in prison in Rome. Oh, he's writing to the church in Philippi, and, and the church in Philippi, through this guy named Epaphroditus that we'll read about, or that we just read about, Epaphroditus was a member of the church in Philippi, and he has taken a letter and a gift to Paul while he is in Rome, while he's in prison. He's been their messenger and he has come to Rome, given Paul that letter, and now Paul is sending a letter back to the church in Philippi. Timothy is also with uh, Paul. Timothy is also with Paul, and he's one of the authors of the letters. And uh, Timothy joined Paul, we know, in Acts chapter 16. He is from this area right over here, Lystra and Derby. And we read about his story in Acts chapter 16. So Timothy joins uh, Paul on his journey and then they travel together, this purple line up here. And Paul and Timothy meet these folks in Philippi. And now 10 years later, they are writing back to this little church in Philippi and with much encouragement. So that's who we're looking at this morning. These two heroes, if I were to have surveyed you before the service started this morning and said, tell me some of the biblical heroes, there might be uh, the folks that we would think about, the Moseses, the Davids, the Daniels, perhaps, Peter, Paul. I wonder if any of you would have listed Timothy. Perhaps some of you might have. Would any of you have listed Epaphroditus? (laughs) I, I, would, I would guess that most of us, that prior to reading this morning, have never even heard of Epaphroditus. The point here being as this, these rather unknown guys in the scheme of Scripture are given, are inscripturated here with great honor for who they are and what they've done. Epaphroditus, Timothy, models uh, for us. So first of all, let's look at uh, Timothy. The first six verses there are dedicated to Timothy. In verse 19 and 20, he says, I want to send Timothy to you. I hope to send him to you. Now, he's not going to. At this point, he's going to send Epaphroditus alone. But Paul says, this guy is of such good help. This guy is of such good worth, such high caliber character. I want to send him to you. And the reason that he wants to send him to him, to the church of Philippi, is according to verse 20. Look at verse 20. He says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Man, that is high praise, is it not? I have no one like him. And I think that that is both good news as well as bad news, isn't it? It's good news because, hey, I, I... Timothy stands head and shoulders above every other servant uh, with me, above every other soldier in this battle for Christ. Timothy is head and shoulders above. I have no one else like him. High commendations, but it's also bad news, right? Because I have no one else like him. Where are the other faithful ones? If you read the end of 2 Timothy, Paul's last letter in the New Testament, you'll see in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy that Paul lists a lot of men that have deserted him. 
A lot of people that have gone by the wayside by false teaching or just deserted him and his ministry. But right here, high marks, high grades. Timothy, I have no one else like him. At the beginning of 2 Timothy, he describes him like this. He says, Timothy, my beloved child. He loves this young guy. He has worked side by side with this guy. He trusts this guy. And he wants to send him to them. Why? Because I have no one else who will be genuinely interested in your welfare. That's what verse 20 says. Who will be genuinely concerned with your welfare. Verse 21, for they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But this guy cares about you. He cares about others. He is genuinely concerned. One pastor author named Warren Wearsby has said this. Warren Wearsby has said, in a very real sense, all of us leave, either live in Philippians 1.21 or Philippians 2.21. Flip back with me to chapter 1, verse 21. What is Paul's mantra in Philippians 1.21? His mantra there, Paul's mantra is, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's what he concludes. Paul says, to live is Christ, and even if I die, that's gain, but I'm living for Christ. Compare that with 2.21. What's the description in 2.21? For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. Wow, ouch. We're either gonna live for our own interests or we're gonna live for Christ. We're gonna seek his interest and his interest is tied up in the interest of his people being genuinely concerned for these people. Timothy is stellar. Timothy is an example. Timothy is a hero, caring genuinely about others. Man, I have witnessed some wonderful examples of genuinely being interested in others in our church family, even just over the past few weeks. I've, I've heard stories about those who are considering job uh, opportunities and have gathered other men in the church around them to say, help me wrestle with this. Help me pray through this. What is the right thing to do here? And those men have prayed for their brother, Steve Patton. Say, what's the right thing to do here? Help me wrestle with. They have taken a genuine interest in their brother. I know that those of us that have been in difficult times the last few weeks have had brothers come around and, and pray for us in our struggles, in those tough times. I heard the story of one among us who was sick, didn't make it to church on Sunday, and someone just out of the blue hearing that, no meal sign up announced or anything, said, I'm going to take him a meal tonight, and took him a meal. I know that you've got kids, I know you're sick, I know you're not feeling well, I'm genuinely interested, caring Wonderful, that's what the church is supposed to be about. And remember that, that, that Paul is writing this to a church, the church of Philippi. He's not just saying be interested in other people general, generally. Hey, as you go to work tomorrow, be interested in the needs of others. He's saying in your church family, the Philippian church, be interested in one another, genuinely care for one another, go out of your way to meet needs, put others ahead of yourselves. That's what I want our church to be about. And, and thankfully, I see that happening. Just yesterday, two friends of another fellow brother in our church said, man, you have got to get help. We will drive you to rehab and we will get you in a program, brother, because you are a mess and you are destroying your life and family. Let us care for you. Let us put your needs ahead of our own agenda for this Saturday.
Man, that's what the church is supposed to be about. That's what I want Centennial Church to be about. And Timothy was an example of that, genuinely putting others' needs ahead of his own. Sinclair Ferguson, as a pastor, has said like this, he's prayed, Lord, help deliver me, help deliver us from the bondage of self-absorption. The bondage of self-absorption. Man, every person in this room this morning is busy. We got stuff going on. We got things we're dealing with. And sometimes our eyes can be only on our schedule or only on our problems, only on our stuff. But what a warmth, what a fellowship, what an alternative to the world if we can say, I care genuinely about others and then do something about it. Timothy cared. Not only did Timothy care, but Timothy had proven character. Look there in verse 22. In verse 22, he says, he describes Timothy, he says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. The metaphor there, of father and son. You know his proven worth. And he, Paul is talking here about character, tested character. His character has been tested and proven sufficient. He is someone that can be counted on. He was consistent over time. He was not just a flash in the pan help, come when there's a dire tragedy and then fade away, but he had proven character, consistent over time. You could say he had a track record of faithfulness, of dependable, dependability. You could count on Timothy. He was faithful. Many of you will know that the United States Marine Corps has a slogan, and that slogan is Semper Fi. You've probably seen it on bumper stickers. What does Semper Fi mean? It means always faithful. That's, well, that's, I think that's the key ingredient that Paul is, is uh, giving, is assigning to Timothy and Epaphroditus here. These guys are faithful. They're not perfect, but they're faithful. Are you faithful? Are you consistent? Is your character the same on Monday morning as it is on Sunday morning? Can you be trusted? Can you be called upon to deliver on what you say that you will do? Timothy was a man, Timothy was a character, a minister of proven worth, faithful, dependable. Well, let me back up here for a second and just say, ladies, if you're tempted to think, well, all the heroes here we're talking about are men this morning, Timothy and Epaphroditus, let me tell you another hero or two other heroes, actually, because Timothy, definitely a hero, definitely faithful, but we all know, right, behind every good man is what? An even better woman, a great woman, okay? So let me give you a little background here. I have to do this, okay? Because Timothy is, is only faithful, is only a hero because of some women, that have been examples to me, to him, excuse me. Turn with me back to Acts chapter 16. This is where we meet Timothy, and I just want to quickly show you this. Acts chapter 16, as Paul meets Timothy for the first time, second missionary journey, 10 years prior to the writing of Philippians. Look at how we, we learn about and, and meet Timothy in Acts chapter 16. Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. I pointed those places to you on the map earlier. Paul came to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. Timothy was a believer in the gospel somehow, okay? 
We're going to find out how. There was a, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. What do we find out about Timothy's spiritual influence? His spiritual influence was his mother. It was this lady that we find out her name is Eunice in uh, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy tells us, I've heard of your faith that, that is in you, but first was in your mother Eunice and your grandmother Lois. What do we know about Timothy's father? We know that Timothy, Timothy's father, according to this passage right here, was Greek, which is the author's way of saying he was not a believer. He was not a Christian. But Timothy heard the gospel through his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois, and he becomes this faithful follower of Jesus also. Single moms, single parents, moms that are here this morning alone with dads who are unbelievers or not interested in spiritual things, take heart. Timothy was basically the son of a single mom spiritually. And can you imagine the prayers that Eunice and Lois prayed for young Timothy? And can you imagine the joy that they felt as the Apostle Paul came along, met Timothy and said, I want you to go with me on this journey. Imagine the joy of Eunice and Lois as they've been praying for young Timothy who is without a spiritual father and then he gets to walk along and follow the Apostle Paul. Single moms, hang in there. Pray for your sons and daughters. Ask God to send a spiritual father. Ask God to, to bring your, your unbelieving spouse to faith. But also take heart, take courage. Your prayers, your faithfulness as moms and grandmothers, your prayers are heard by the Lord. And he's, he's, he's honorable. He will honor your prayers. And, and men... Brothers and dads and grandpas, it's our responsibility to come alongside these little ones who don't have spiritual fathers and be the spiritual father that they don't have, right? Let us be that kind of church too. The heroes, not just the men, there's some really heroic women right here too. Praise God for Eunice and Lois. Well, let's turn our attention now to Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. Like I said, many of you have probably never heard of him. Uh, Epaphroditus, this little unsung hero. One commentator has said that Epaphroditus shines like a meteor, briefly but brightly. This is all we know about him. All we know about him, Epaphroditus, this faithful guy. I've been trying to talk my wife into naming our next son Epaphroditus. She said she'll pray about it. His name means charming, actually. Isn't that a great name for a son? Charming, Epaphroditus. Lots of nicknames there. Epaphroditus. We, we don't know anything about him except for these few verses right here. Uh, he, it says in verse 30 that he nearly died. That he nearly died risking his life to bring this letter and to bring this gift to the church at Philippi. He risked his life in faith to serve the Apostle Paul and to serve the church in Philippi. One translation said, hazarding his life. 
And if he's coming from Philippi to go and take this financial gift, we find in uh, Philippians 4.18 that Epaphroditus took a letter from Philippi over to Paul in Rome. Rome, And most commentators say that was probably a six-week journey to go from Philippi to Rome and deliver this gift and to deliver this letter. And it says he risked his life. It says he became ill. Now, do we know why he became ill? Was it because he got a virus or something in his travels or did he get ill as he was there in Rome fellowshipping with Paul? We don't know exactly, but we know that this guy took six weeks at least to get to Paul to deliver this gift and that he nearly risked his life. He did risk his life and nearly died. What are you risking for the cause of Christ? Are you self-absorbed or are you selfless? Epaphroditus sacrifices. He puts others' needs ahead of his own. He puts the church ahead of his own even physical health. And he says, according to verse 29, Paul says, receive this guy, he's your own. Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Men and women who serve Christ, men and women who are faithful, receive them with joy and honor them. I love the description backing up a second here in verse 25. I love the descriptions, the litany of metaphors and words that Paul stacks here in verse 25 to describe Epaphroditus. Look again with me in verse 25, how he describes him. He says, I'm sending you Epaphroditus. And then he calls him my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Look at all the ways he's described there. He's my brother. I I love him. But he's also a worker, and he's also, get this, a soldier and a minister and messenger uh, of our needs. This idea of following Christ is, is multifaceted, folks. It's like a multifaceted diamond. And right here, we see various, kind of a fourfold aspect of what it means to live the Christian life, okay? First of all, it means that we're brothers. It means that we're family, okay? That's one aspect of it. I think we have a slide of this. Four aspects of the description of the Christian life. We're family. He calls him fellow brother, but we're also workers. We're working along. Not only are we a family just enjoying fellowship and sometimes annoying one another, brother and sister, right? Some infighting, some family fighting, but not only are we brothers and sisters, not only is this Centennial Church a fellowship, but we're also fellow workers. We're we're loving each other, but we also have a work to do. Something to build, a church to build, a kingdom to announce. They were fellow brothers and sisters, but they were also fellow workers working for the gospel, working in their community, working for the cause of Christ. But not only workers, but soldiers. Soldiers, And this is a prominent uh, theme, a prominent metaphor uh, in the New Testament. A couple places, if you look back in chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, he talks, Paul talks there, he uses soldier language. He, uses, he talks about striving together side by side and standing firm. That's military language. That's the language of being a good soldier. In other places, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 uh, through 4. 2 Timothy 2, 2 through 4, he says, What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to whom? Faithful men 
who will be able to teach others also. And check out verse three. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. There it is again. The idea of uh, soldiering, that we're in a battle. And that battle is not a military battle. It's not a political battle. But folks, we are in a spiritual battle. And we are soldiers. We have an enemy. And it's not flesh and blood. Some of us need to wake up to this. Maybe you love the idea of family. You love the idea of working together. But there's another aspect of the Christian life, and that's it. it's a war, folks. And there's an enemy. Verse three, he says, uh, excuse me, uh, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. Verse four, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. As soldiers, there's, there's a lot of things we could use our time on. There's a lot of energy that we, could, that we could exert. But he says, if you're a soldier for Christ, remain focused on the most important things because the battle is real and the battle is important. We're family, we're workers, we're also soldiers. And many of you know that our brothers and sisters, fellow soldiers throughout the world and throughout the centuries have given their life for the cause of the gospel. 69 million martyrs since the time of Christ. 69 million soldiers that have lost their life in defense of Jesus Christ. An army of saints, an army of servants, fallen soldiers in service of their Savior. Not only have 69 million men and women lost their lives serving Christ, but right now, right now, 200 million Christians in our world right now are persecuted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And we're here this morning wondering where we're gonna eat lunch or if the coffee will be good, or if I'll like the songs. We're in a war. Not only are we soldiers, workers, and family, but we're also servants. And I've combined here messenger and minister to my need that he served. He served the church in Philippi by being a messenger, and he served Paul by bringing him this gift and ministering to his needs. He served I asked myself recently, maybe you have asked yourself the question as well, where are the servants? Where are the political servants? Where are the statesmen of today? Where are the public servants of the day? We have politicians, but where are the public servants? Where are the, state, the statesmen? Paul was a soldier, Timothy was a soldier, and Timothy was a servant. So what do we do with all this? We need heroes. We want heroes. We long for heroes. In Peter Gibbons' book, uh, The Call to Heroism, one of the reasons that he says that we lack heroes today is, is one, one of the reasons is that we pick apart the heroes of old. You know, every American hero that you can name now, whether it's Christopher Columbus or Thomas Jefferson or so, someone has brought to life their evils, right? 
the chinks in their armor. So, so can anybody really be a true hero? We, one uh, person that Peter Gibbon interviews, a reporter, says the only way that you can find success, the only way that you can find uh, recognition in the newspaper, in the journalism world these days, is no longer to dine with statesmen, but to bring down politicians, to find the imperfections, to bring them down. So sometimes we have this idea that, that, that our heroes have to be perfect. And the truth is, none of our heroes, American heroes or biblical heroes, have ever been perfect. Faithful, yes. But perfect, no. But we do have a perfect hero, don't we? We do have one perfect hero. And that hero is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the hero that Timothy and Epaphroditus knew themselves. It's the hero that caused them to give their lives and sacrifice, to put others' needs ahead of themselves. They knew a one true hero in Jesus Christ. See, we long for a hero. We need heroes. We want heroes. And we have one true hero in Jesus. Do we not? One who is all-powerful but comes in humility. One who doesn't wear a, a uniform of strength but wraps himself with a towel and washes the feet of his disciples. A savior, get this, who rescues his bride. That's Jesus. A savior who comes with all power but serves a savior, a rescuer, a hero, get this, who looks like he's defeated. He's died. He looks like he's defeated, but the hero rises again. He defeats defeat. He defeats death, and he gains victory. We have one true hero in Jesus, and that hero, get this, is coming back to this land is going to fix this kingdom, is going to bring righteousness and goodness and justice to a kingdom that is messed up. He will rebuild and renew a kingdom in which he reigns as the hero. We need heroes. And there's never been one perfect hero but Jesus. Faithful, yes, but perfect, no. My challenge to us this morning, folks, is, is not to go and be a hero. You know, no one who's a hero sets out to be a hero. But what the Marines set out to do is be faithful. What Timothy and Epaphroditus set out to do was be faithful. What Paul was trying to do was be faithful to the king that he served. So my challenge to us this morning is not go be a hero. My challenge to us this morning is go and be faithful of proven character with your eyes on the one true and only hero, Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Father God, thank you that in a world uh, replete of heroes, you have given us the greatest hero of all, we thank you, Father, that Jesus, our hero, has come to rescue us and what looks like defeat, what looked like defeat on the cross was truly victory as he rose three days later. And we thank you, Father, that his kingdom is coming when he returns. Lord, I pray that we would be always faithful, that with our eyes on Jesus, we would live lives 
as light in this world, that we would live lives of proven character as we are brothers and sisters, as we work for your kingdom, as we soldier together, and as we serve the interest of Jesus. It's in his beautiful name that we pray, amen.